We are starting our series today on the book of Revelation, which I'm really excited about. It's probably one of my top three favourite books of the Bible. Um, I wonder what you think about it. Awkward. Yeah. Is it a book that you'd say you flip to regularly when you want to be cheered up? No, probably not. Um, it's a bit weird, isn't it? It's a bit of a curveball. We've got dragons in it. Um, and we're going to be doing it from chapter 1 to chapter 22. We're going to be taking a chapter-ish a week. But we're not going to be able to go for the whole of the chapter on a Sunday morning because that's too much. So I know lots of you have been doing the reading list we've sent out, the reading plan. Um, we've run out, but we'll print some more for next week. And that's encouraging you to read the chapter the week before I talk about it. So some of you might have read chapter 1 last week. If you haven't, that's fine. You'll still, uh, it'll still make sense. But, but um, that just helps us ground it a bit more. So if you want a bit of homework, your homework this week is to read Revelation chapter 2. Um, so next week, um, when I think Roger's speaking on the letters to the churches, um, he probably won't be reading the whole of chapter 2 to 3 and a half. Um, I mean, that stops me having to prepare a sermon where he is. It's quite a good idea, but I don't think... And similarly today, I'm not going to be reading the whole of Revelation chapter 1 to you, I'll be pulling bits out. But if you have a Bible with you, it's always good to have it in front of you if you can, um, so you can see where I'm going to. But that's what we're doing over the next few months. From, from into the new year, we go through the book of Revelation with a break for Christmas. And so we're going to be looking at things like locusts, earthquakes, plagues, monsters with numerous heads, prostitutes riding on the back of a beast. That'd be a good Sunday morning, wouldn't it? Looking forward to that one. Uh, we've got death, destruction, judgment, the lake of fire, the four, horse, the four horsemen, the antichrist, hallelujah, it's going to be good. If it's your first time listening to Downline or here, um, I don't normally talk about weird things like this, but actually my, my, my prayer is that if we go to the book of Revelation, what we'll see is actually it's not this weird book to be ignored. And so today I'm going to give a brief overview of the whole book, what it's about, the kind of writing it is, and then we're going to do a little bit on a couple of verses in chapter one. That's the plan of action. In front of you, hopefully you've got one of our sermon sheets. I'll give yours back. I don't know how much you'd like to fill in. There you go. Um, uh, that's for you to fill in as we go. If you want, you might want to look at your life group. It helps you think, oh, good, you're finished. If nothing else, it's, it's a healthy bit of paper. Maybe. So it is going to be a heavy few months, but I encourage you to stay with us. Um, I don't want you to, to miss anything. And remember, you can catch up on all of our sermons Online, on Spotify, on Alexa. You can say to Alexa, Alexa, I want to listen to St. Thomas Church and my dulcet tones will echo through your kitchen as you dinner. Kimmy came down the other day to hear me listening to myself because I was so excited that it worked. She just said that was a bit sad. She didn't use that word, but anyway, so moving on, we're going to introduce ourselves to the book of Revelation. It's like two mini sermons, an overview of Revelation, what it's all about. And then we're going to be diving into a few verses at the end of Revelation. But I'd like to read just the first six verses to you to begin with. Revelation 1, uh, 1 to 6. I'm reading the NIV translation. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this, this prophecy. That's me. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. That's you. 
hopefully this morning, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So that's one of the reasons we're studying this book because the book itself says, blessed are those who read it and take it to heart. It's tempting to avoid this book. It's kind of tempting to do one of two things. Ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Or get so enwrapped with it and intrigued by it that everything you see on the news is a signpost that Jesus is coming tomorrow at eight minutes past three. And uh, you know, it's easy. But actually, what I want to say this morning is that there is a middle ground. We can we can treat it as we do the other books of the Bible. Um, that it's that it's important for us. It's in the canon. Um, blessed are those who hear the words and take it to heart. And take heart what is written. It says, take to heart what is written. It's easy to say that, but what actually is written? What kind of book is Revelation? It's easy to look at the other books in the Bible and kind of see what books they are. The Bible isn't one book, remember. It's like a bookcase with 66 books on it. And each book has a different genre. And you would hopefully go home and read a newspaper in a different way than you'd read a recipe book. And so when we look at books in the Bible, we will hopefully read the Gospels in a different way to the way we might read Song of Songs, for example, to a different way we might read Isaiah. So if we look at the Gospels, they are a narrative, they're a story of something that really happened, but it's a story. If we look at Isaiah, Isaiah was a prophet, he spoke the words of God, mainly about what was happening there to the people of God, but also often to what was to come in the future. Or we might look at Galatians, a letter written by Paul. So we look at that and we think, okay, these were written to the church in Galatia, not just in Thomas's church in the 21st century, but it's still relevant for us today. What can we learn from it? That isn't a liberal reading of scripture. It's not getting us off the hook. It's actually being more faithful to the word of God given to us. Revelation, however, is a bit more tricky. It is a letter. It began by saying John to the churches in Asia. So it's written by John to the churches in Asia. So in some ways it's a letter. In some ways it's a story. You see stuff that's going on. In many ways it's a bit of prophecy as well. This is what's happening and this is what happened in the future. But it's more than that. And in fact back in verse 1 it tells us what it is. It says the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. That word revelation is apocalypse. It's a good word, isn't it? If you think of the word apocalypse, you probably think of Netflix drama series of, of fire and, you know, normally it's a meteor that's coming, isn't it? And you've got three days to save the world or whatever it is. That's what we think about when we think of the word apocalypse. But actually, that's not what it means originally. That word apocalypse means unveiling, the, the unveiling. So this book is all about Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus, the showing of Jesus. It's all about him. And here at St. Thomas's, we want to be a church that's all for Jesus. So why not go to the book of Revelation this season? Uh, because it's all about him. It's Jesus revealing 
himself. It's from him and it's about him. Apocalyptic writing about Jesus. Two things about apocalyptic literature that it's good to get in our heads when we start Revelation. Now, we could spend months on this, but two things I want to say that will make it a bit more confusing, but hopefully a bit clearer in the long run. The first thing is that with apocalyptic literature, we also get some in the Old Testament, we get Ezekiel and Daniel where it's a bit strange as well. With apocalyptic writing, time isn't linear-ish. It kind of is, but, but time isn't the beginning and the end. Now, it is the beginning and the end, but between then, it gets a bit more complicated. Often in the Gospels, Jesus did this, then this, then this. And there's a sense of, of time working its way. Whereas with apocalyptic literature, it's a bit different. And the only way I can think of explaining how it's different is a bit like uh, a linear time. It's like this live stream that's watching, that people are watching now. Where are you? You're there. Hello. So if you go home and watch the live stream back to yourself, what you'll see is that we began with this, we did this, we did this, and then we finished. It's linear. Uh, a different way of doing it, a bit more apocalyptic-like, would be, think back to the Creator Day yesterday, when we had Jeremy making the rest of the glorious pottery. Uh, we had uh, some craft stuff going on over there. We had, well, so we had coffee, cake, loads of good stuff going on. And imagine I'm going out with my video camera, just like this. And I'm pointing it to the choir on the stage, and then I'm going over here to the craft fair, and then I'm going to Jeremy with his pottery wheel, and then... And so there's all this different stuff going on. And it's kind of going on at the same time. But it's also kind of different, because that choir might stop, and there might be something happening on the stage, but I'm actually over there having coffee. And so time is still progressing, but it's a bit all over the place. Uh, and I know that's a bit confusing, but I think it's important to say, apocalyptic writing is a bit confusing. That's okay. Uh, we can still try to get our heads around it. It wasn't written for scholars with theology degrees. It was written for first century Christians following Jesus in Asia. So the first thing with apocalyptic stuff, to keep in our heads, time's a bit weird. The second thing is that there's quite a lot of symbolism in this book of Revelation. There's quite a lot of stuff, particularly colours and numbers. Now, that doesn't mean it's not truthful. Symbols stuff mean it's not a truthful thing to look at. But when we look at all these different symbols in the book of Revelation, back in their ancient setting, they make a lot of sense. For example, if we go to Revelation 9, we read of plagues of locusts. And we might get carried away with that and think, oh, that means when the Lord comes again, there are going to be giant locusts that come. Um, which might happen, but that's not what I think it means. But what we might think for symbol with symbolism is we might think, oh, hang on, where have I seen plagues of locusts before? The Exodus, right? And there was Pharaoh and an evil king, and there was slavery, and God rescued his people. And, and so automatically we're seeing these links between the last book of the Bible and almost one of the first. And so there's lots of symbolism uh, that we can look at. There's lots of other stuff as well, that's just one example. And we have numbers meaning something. Numbers aren't just randomly put in the book of Revelation. They often have a real deep meaning. Not the kind of deep meaning that you sit and work out with a calculator and work out where Jesus is coming back. But, but a deep meaning in terms of the story of God and his people. So whenever, often, when the number 12 comes up, it means fullness. We have the 12 tribes of Israel, don't we? We have um, the numbers of 12 come up a lot in scripture. The number seven in the book of Revelation means fullness or perfection. Seven days of creation. God thought it was very good. 
that, that, that number in the Revelation means perfection. That number six, just before seven, means not full, not perfect, trying to be, but not quite there. Think of 666, the Antichrist, nearly 777, not quite there. This symbolism means a lot. So two things about apocalyptic literature. If you're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, what have I come into? Um, it's just important to know these things, or to get our heads around them. And as we go through the next few weeks, stuff will fall into place, hopefully. Finally, before we look at a couple of verses from Revelation, why was it written? Why on earth do we have this book in our Bible that is a bit confusing and a bit weird? So it's written by John. A good question is, which John? No one really knows. So it could be the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. It could be the John that wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John at the back of the New Testament, which is a different John that wrote John's Gospel. Or it could be a third John over here, who no one knows about, but is a good Christian guy in Asia. Scholars argue about it. They know more, they know more than I do. And actually, I'm not really fussed who wrote it. <laughs> Doesn't really but I, I throw those options out there. A more important question is when was it written? Because that helps us think about things. And the suggestion is end of the first century, the year 97. That's a good time for us to think that it was written. Um, towards the end of Emperor Domitian's reign, who was a naughty boy, wasn't very good for Christians, was worse than Nero um, as well. Some people think it was written during Nero's reign. Both makes sense. So that's a whistle-stop overview of the book of Revelation. Lots of symbolism. Times weird. Written by someone called John. Written at the end of the first century during Emperor Domitian or maybe Nero when there's bad stuff going on for Christians. That's the book of Revelation in an overview, in a nutshell. And if you were saying to me, summarise the book of Revelation in a sentence, I wouldn't say it's a timeline for when Jesus is coming back. That's part of it. But I wouldn't say that's what it's all about. What I would say is it's telling me stay close to Jesus. Do what he says, be with him, and look for his coming. But we don't, we don't spend all of our time thinking Jesus is coming in five minutes. Now, it's good to live in the knowledge that he is coming, but that's not a faithful reading of Revelation, I don't. Finally, before we look at verse 9, uh, it's important for us to know that there are four main ways that people could have read the book of Revelation. Posh people have given them posh words. I don't even know how to say the top and the middle one, but I'll give them a go. So the first one is preterist, I think that's how you say it. And that means it's all about then. It's all about what was happening in the church at the time, in the present that it was written. That's what it's all about. It's all about the first century. The second one, the futurist, says, no, those people are wrong. It's all about the future. Everything in that book points to the future, to the coming of Jesus. The third one, I can't say this at all, is saying, actually, this gives us a timeline. So from chapter 1, you get a timeline, all the way to Revelation chapter 2. It's a history of the church of Jesus. And the last one is maybe a more liberal view, progressive view, that actually, none of that is just about how to live and how to be nice and how to be evil. And often what you find is some people fall into one camp and ignore all the others and say... Those people are heretics. I'm right. No, you're not. I'm right. And actually, what I want to say is I think there's a bit in all of this. When we come to this funny book of Revelation, it was written in the first century to those people. So it is for them. So there is a bit of preterist there. It is about them. But actually, some of it is really clearly 
about the coming of the Lord and about judgment and about how the books are going to be opened one day and all of us will stand before Jesus and will be held to account. That's clear. So some of it's about that. And actually lastly, the ideal is, yes, when we look at Babylon, what we're going to see is that this idea of sex, power and money goes on forever in every different culture. That's where power um, corrupts. I would say there's a bit of a worry if we look at historicists too much. That's where you get your timelines. And that's when you can say, aha, something has happened, therefore this is going to happen. So people with this viewpoint in the past have said things like, the United Nations is the beast coming out of the water. Or the European Union is the beast coming out of the water. Or the invasion of Rome by Goths, or the rise of Mussolini. And what I want to say is that symbolically, some of that might be true. I don't know. But when we don't say tip, checklist. Now we're on to the next stage. That's where you can get funny videos on YouTube and be a bit careful. So with all that in mind, <laughs> we're going to look at a few verses at the end of chapter 1, if that's okay. And then we're going to sing some songs to see what the Lord might want to say. So we're going to start at chapter, uh, verse 12 in chapter 1. Just a few verses from that. And remember what I said about symbolism and, um, and, and things like that, and numbers. I turned around, this is John speaking. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. First of all, how, what, why would you see a voice? So straight away, we're looking at Revelation and going, what? Then there must be symbolism here. You can't say the whole of Revelation literally, because you can't see a voice. If we were in pitch black, you would still have the pleasure of my golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a gold sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were like fire. His, voice, uh, his feet were like bronze in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven, seven, seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged Sword. His face was like the sun shining on its brilliance. Imagine you were going to literally draw that picture. What would that look like? It would be a bit weird, wouldn't it? So there's so much symbolism here. John said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. He placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and look, I'm alive forever. And I hold the keys of death and hell. Write, therefore, what you have seen. What's now, and what will take place later. Again, Revelation saying, look, this is about now and later. The mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Always helpful when Revelation tells us what it's talking about, like it did then. So here's a question for you this morning, friends. A question that Jesus asks in Matthew 16 and in Mark 8 and in Luke 9. Who do you say Jesus is? Right at the beginning of this book of Revelation, all the amazing and funny stuff that is to come, we begin, don't we, face to face with Jesus, the King of Kings, the Living One. I wonder who do you say Jesus is? Is he just this nice teacher? Is he just this historical figure? Or is he the one who holds the keys of death and hell? Is he the one with eyes of flaming fire, the hair as white as wool? 
I would argue this is the most important question anyone will, will ever answer. Because on it hinges our eternity, on it hinges our life right now, when we respond to this question, who is Jesus? This passage, again, is saturated with symbolism. The lampstands of the churches, and there's seven of them, so the fullness of the church, all of God's people in front of Jesus. We see a man, or someone like the Son of Man, Jesus called himself that a lot, dressed in a gold sash, that symbol of majesty, with hair white as wool, which in that culture uh, is a symbol of old age and wisdom and respect and veneration. If you're sitting here with, with grey hair, you're in good company. You stand with the Son of Man this morning. This Son of Man has eyes which are flames of fire. Now that's a symbol that often came up in other pagan gods as well. So here's Jesus saying, you know, I'm the one. I'm the living one. I'm the King of Kings. There's no room for anyone else on the stage, as it were, apart from me. No other god can stand before the might of Jesus. This son of man speaks with a voice that sounds like rushing water. A throwback to the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 1, who says the voice of all, the Almighty is like the roar of rushing waters. What's it all about? What I want to say as we come into land this morning, that as we start our journey through Revelation in this new season of St. Thomas's, September often feels like a new start, I want to encourage us to stand with the rise of Revelation and begin this journey by just wanting to see Jesus afresh for who he really is. You know, this symbolic picture in Revelation 1 tells us key truths about Jesus. He's a high priest. He's the Ancient of Days. He's the one on the throne. He's God himself. He's wisdom personified. He's been the key holder. He speaks. He is Lord. He is everything. And this vision of Jesus that John has takes him on in the next chapter to, to, to talk to the churches. Because it all begins with Jesus. This vision that John has kind of puts things in perspective for John as he listens to God and speaks to the church. So, so here's the question for you today. What's God saying to you about the church? John began with this vision of Jesus, and next week we're going to see how John spoke to the churches. And today I want to encourage us to sit or stand face to face with Jesus and to say, okay, Lord, you're the one who speaks with rushing waters. You're the one with hair white as wool. You're the one with eyes of flaming fire. Nothing is too difficult for you. What is it you're saying to the church? In front of you or with you, some of you will have a little bit of paper that says... We gather because, we grow because, and we go because. We might have one out, we might not have one given out. If you haven't um, got one, we might have some spare ones somewhere. Glenis will look. And then we'll oh, we haven't got any spare ones. If you haven't got any spare ones, you've got some paper somewhere, I think, that we're giving out, so you can write them down. Or we've got a few spares. If you have, we've got two. If two people haven't got one, put your hands up. You've all, most of you have got one. That's good. Okay. That's great. And what I want you, we're going to sing a bit of a song, but we're going to invite you to, say, to stay seated to this song. It's a new one, um, but we're going to kind of sing it over you and with you. And we invite you, as we sing that song with you, to be still, to ask Jesus to reveal himself to you afresh this morning. And as he does so, maybe you're going to sense what he's saying to his church in terms of us being a church that's gathering, growing, and going. Because we know that's what the Lord is calling us to do. But actually, what we want to do now is start thinking why. 
Why do we do it? Why do we gather here on a Sunday morning when we could do other things? Why do we come before the Son of Man and all his glory? And hopefully we know the answer because nothing compares to Jesus because we love him, because we love his presence. But we want to start thinking about that. So I invite the band to come up um, behind me. We're going to sing a couple of songs and then we're going to end with two more songs we're going to stand. But as we sing, you've got that bit of paper. And I invite you, if you feel something come into your heart, to write it down. And then at the end, we're going to put them in the basket at the back. And as a leadership thing, we're going to read all of them and we're going to try and listen to what the Lord might be saying to us about the new season. Um, if you get a picture or a Bible verse, jot it down. If you're not too sure, but you think you might have one, put it down anyway. You know, if we all hear really clearly, then we like the prophet Isaiah, or we're not, we don't hear clearly, um, but we invite you to, to write it down. So let's pray together before we listen to the Lord. So we pray, come, Holy Spirit. We want to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're... One thing you do is glorify Jesus, and we want to see him today. Those eyes of flaming fire, the hair that's white like wool, the voice that sounds like rushing waters. So in the stillness, in the silence, as we wait, come Holy Spirit. And sometimes when we do this, people want to pray out, or someone might get a, a prayer in a different language to sing out. You've got permission to do that, that that's cool. And say, come, Holy Stay seated, stay in the presence of the one who holds the keys of death and hell. 